This is episode 340, and you've just heard a brief excerpt from Jacques Offenbach's Tales of Hoffman, a very beautiful and celebrated excerpt, and uh, I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. The purpose of today's uh, cast is to underline and expatiate on um, the pro- the the the, the uh, phosphorus image that I've been using to understand what means the most to us as we look back, even in the midst of uh, busy or, in my case, retired and to some extent more reflective periods when we are seeking to understand ourselves and especially our gravitations and our impressionabilities. And in specific terms, the music and the literature and the movies and the television shows and the high moments and the um, important uh, circumstances that have made uh, the decisive um, uh, moments of truth in our experience of this world, in our brief uh, but uh, highly felt and undetached lives and to try to understand ourselves. The purpose of the cast is to deepen, you might say, one's understanding, and I'm simply speaking here out of my own experience. But um, the uh, fact is that the world wants to say that the most important things that happen are relevant to the objects outside ourselves. And I understand that, and I certainly believe that as it relates to God. But um, the greatest transactions, as we all know, are how the things outside us affect and determine inside, and which comes first, the inner uh, openness and accessibility to impressions or the thing impressing. And I want to opt for the... um, former, the impressionability inside ourselves and the person, the soul. This is really an expansion of my attempts to understand um, the soul. Now, uh, the um, roots of it, uh, this cast, lay in a reflection that David Zoll offered, which was a quote from Frederick Beekner, may he rest in peace, in which he talked about something to which we need to pay the most attention. Let me read this passage from this week's Mockingbird. Pay attention to moments, he said, when unexpected tears come to your eyes and what may trigger them. He was talking about those sudden up wet it, it's hard for me to read this um these um upwellings of emotion we get from the sublimity of nature or art when we see a whale breaching or or are emotionally ambushed by a line in a film or poem then we know we are being led towards truth and beauty by a lump in the throat and um what sometimes happens is we ascribe to the thing that is causing the light, the, the, the lump in the throat greater uh, dignity than it actually deserves because what really happened was that our um, accessibility, our, our need, our proclivity, our aspiration, our uh, almost compulsive um, uh, total uh, transfixing um, requirement to find 
eternity and unity and an end to one-sided loneliness and an aspiration for some kind of connection with the, 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 the beyond ourselves, often, most often in terms of a person. This is what is the primary fact of the human drama that uh, some by chance encountered song or piece of literature or experience catalyzes. And then we, we give undue significance to the thing that was the catalyst rather than the thing that it catalyzed, which is ourselves. Let me uh, try to explain that a little more clearly. And I don't want you to think that I'm thereby making everything subjective, but I am in a way in terms of this world making all things subjective and you see this, uh, you see it in Citizen Kane at the end, which is the most apposite um, picture that comes to my mind, but you see it in people's lives when uh, an event that happened 50 years ago or 30 years ago or 80 years ago completely overwhelms in its power the person who is dying because something so important was transfixed and nailed uh, in, in an early experience that the the person or the thing that nailed it uh, by chance uh, or God's chance turns uh, to be given more value than what it was in you that was looking for the very thing it chanced to give. What am I saying? Well, let me explain it in a scholarly way. When you were coming along in um, sort of normal, traditional seminary education, you run into two great names of German scholarship in the study of the Old Testament. One is Martin Noth, N-O-T-H, and the other is Gerhard von Rad, von V-O-N, Rad. R-A-D. And these um, brilliant scholars of the Old Testament um, came upon a very interesting kind of theory that explained to them the um, historical accounts uh, of God's work uh, with the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. And these, uh, this view, this understanding was later applied <coughs> to John's Gospel. And the idea is that something happened, uh, some kind of miraculous experience, life-changing, life-altering experience of God was perceived to be the, the, the ultimate life-altering experience happened to a person or groups of people. Usually it was a group, sometimes it was an individual. And that um, made the person absolutely fix upon the physical circumstances of where and when it had taken place. So it, it happens in, you know, Jabeth Gilead and... Uh, something marvelous and memorable uh, happened inwardly that caused a tremendous uh, sense of the presence of God and then it was memorialized and it attracted to itself. The place where it had happened uh, became all important and that it recurs and recurs and recurs and people put stones and monuments and piles of stones and it became the the, the place where God had had spoken. It was a little bit like um, kind of a a magnet um, uh, attracting metal filings on a surface. Um, Then songs uh, came that attracted uh, themselves to it and uh, place names obviously and legends and psalms and bits of literature until it was like a magnet that had all these ancillary um, objects attached to it because something vital had happened of a subjective nature there. And so the Old Testament place names, or if you want to know if it really happened, just see if it's mentioned a lot or see if a certain place uh, which was completely unknown prior to the event suddenly becomes, you know, major league. I mean, like Lourdes or something like that. A place that no one's ever heard of suddenly becomes a place where the whole world is attracted for a period. And um, this... uh, 
happens in John. You know, no one knows really where Cana of Galilee uh, was. It, no one has ever proven exactly where the heck Cana of Galilee was, but it, it was a place apparently where something remarkable happened involving um, wine and a wedding that was so remarkable that, that uh, it attracted to itself all these marvelous uh, verses in the Bible and references later and out of the heart shall flow living waters and so forth. And yet it, the place itself was completely unimportant until something happened prior that then kind of made the place become important. So we now say at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And we even, it's even in the, um, it's even in the uh, opening of the traditional marriage service, which I conduct quite regularly, even still. So um, that uh, is a way of saying that um, the uh, what happens to you, what what the, um, it attracts. Um, the, 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 you say, oh my gosh, I was listening to that song when that happened. Um, oh my gosh, when I had that thought or I was with that person, I was, uh, or, or that, I got that phone call and in the background was playing, you know, next plane to London, leaving on runway number five. You know, um, I, I had an accident as a, a teenager um, rolling down the highway and um, uh, I had a couple of things on my mind and uh, then I had an accident and I suddenly found myself in the ditch in a car with the wheels still spinning around. But the song, next plane to London. Now, what in the world? The song, uh, it's not a very good song. The next plane, it's actually a rather ridiculous song. Leaving on runway five. It's kind of absurd American song. And yet um, it became immortalized in my memory because of the accident I had while it was playing on WEAM or whatever it was in Washington, D.C. Now, do you see what I'm saying? We freight uh, the thing uh, rather than seeing what was really the importance of the thing. So that song is not the thing that the thing was that I was at a certain moment in my adolescent life when all sorts of feelings and ideas and hopes were spinning around uh, before going to college and uh, the song um, wrapped all like a like a magnet uh, all the pieces of uh, metal and were drawn to the song but it was not about the song at all now let me give you the key example here um you remember that Tales of Hoffman is not only a beautiful um, French operatic piece, but uh, a series of wonderful scenes. But it was made into a movie in 1951 by uh, Emmerich Pressburger and Michael Powell in England. <clears throat> and um, I found out about 20 years ago that the greatest fan of that movie, which is very good, but I find it a little boring. It's just a little slow. <clears throat> and one could almost say it's a it's a triumph of style over substance, but who, that's not the point. Uh, not so long ago, I watched an interview in which George Romero, the schlock director of Night of the Living Dead, um, said that his entire life had been changed by um, Tales of Hoffman, or as he said, Tales of Hoffman. So he's constantly saying, well, my mother, I think my mother took me to the Sutton Theater in New York City. I think that's what happened and to see it when I was like nine or ten, uh, Tales of Hoffman, and I've never been the same. And the interviewer says, well, what was it about Tales of Hoffman that made such an impression and made you into a filmmaker of such movies as Night of the Living Dead? And the equals, and he said, um, 
he said, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's it just something about that movie. And, and by the way, parenthetically, I do understand that. The, mo- the movie is very beautiful to look at. He, he said, uh, it, it's, it changed everything. Tales of Hoffman. And then the, he, the, but he can't, you see, it's not about Tales of Hoffman. It's about George Romero was at a very, very a point of tremendous accessibility as a nine-year-old or ten-year-old or whatever it was. And it happened that he ran into the right material by sheer chance, a very beautiful English movie, that couldn't have been further from his overall movement. And, and that's the thing to which he attaches the revolutionary Damascus Road experience of the arts. Another example of this that cracked me up, I was um, Jerry Garcia, one is sort of a fan, and as you know, he died an Episcopalian. But um, there's this remarkable interview with him where, where he says, well, they say, well, tell about the early influences on your life, Mr. Garcia. And Jerry uh, says, well, actually, um, I was little, and, and my mom uh, took me to see uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and, and I was never the same. It changed my life forever. He said you could actually look at the life of Jerry Garcia and you could say, first, there's Jerry Garcia prior to eight or nine years old or whatever it was. And then there's there's the Damascus Road, which is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Now, he's not able to articulate that any further, uh, but it's, he keeps coming back to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Well, you and I know that movie, and it's a very good, in its own way, it's very memorable. I mean, I quote it all the time. I love the movie. But to call it a great movie, um, and Jerry Garcia, you know, it, it, the whole thing is, is, it has, you see what I'm saying? The, it has nothing to do with the actual, um, the actual, uh, um, piece of material that came but it, it, it changed everything and so therefore you attach your great hungers and your great needs to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein um, let me give you another uh, a, a great quote I'm l- leading up to a, a brief quote from probably one of my four favorite writers in the world. I believe an inspired genius, uh, and um, you, you may not, but H. Ryder Haggard strikes me as someone of uncommon inspiration and uh, always will. And um, he said, this is a slightly mashed quote, but it's one of my favorites. I first encountered it uh, over eight years ago, and I've never forgotten it. He says, um, He's speaking about his philosophy, Ryder Haggard. He wrote books like She and King Solomon's Minds. My philosophy is that the, the eternal loneliness and our search for unity is almost always wrongly aimed, for it is only to be found in God. The eternal loneliness and search for unity is wrongly aimed and it is only to be founded in God. And what I would say happens when you encounter a piece of music or a piece of literature or um, even an experience or a place, all that talk about the magic of place, a bunch of nonsense. There's no magic in place. There's some beautiful places. But you, you, your uh, a, a, a attachment to a place as the place of magic for you, which I understand, I'm talking about it here, can be, that place can be demolished and turn, you know, take paradise, put up a parking lot. I and mean, I almost every place that I've always, that I love, 
loved growing up is this, that, or the other thing, is now uh, a parking lot or the equivalent. It's completely changed. Nothing that you uh, place uh, is infinitely uh, changeable. E- even great and very beautiful, massive national parks can be converted. Um, but, uh, you know, a college fraternity house or an apartment one lived someplace, it can only be demolished. And even if it hasn't been, it's been changed to a multi-use this or that. And... Um, it's where you were when you encountered it because your loneliness and your search for unity was the thing and you misapplied it to uh, a song or an object, not realizing that the um, whole thing uh, was about you and you're looking for God. Ultimately, the connection, the unity, the rebirth uh, is a, a passionate and really um, monomania of a of a of a search for the uh, divine connection which everybody really wants and that's why when the church gets so politicized as it is right now uh, and so involved in horizontal causes and issues good as they all may be I'm not you you, you can be on the right or on the left uh, but ideology and politics is a secondary good and what people are really looking for is is the 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 answer to to human individual existential loneliness and the overwhelming uh, uh, search for uh, aspiration for unity, uh, connection, love. That's the bottom line of everything. Well, I'm going to conclude. I'd like you to think about all your loves, all the things that you adore and think are so fine. And you might say I'm asking you to kind of de-pedestalize them or de-christen them or desacralize them, but in favor of sacralizing your own um, eternal search for reunification with love because that's what it's all about and ultimately it's the love of God and it's expressed in its historic form uh, with uh, unique empathy and compassion in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Well I leave that with you and I close with an almost complete version, an excerpt but a long excerpt of a song by Jimmy Webb called Rosecrans Boulevard. The song is one of his greatest and this is the version by uh, Johnny Rivers which I think was the first version of it, and then uh, a version was done by the Fifth Dimension. And it's, is it about Rosecrans Boulevard? No. It's about something that happened to the writer of the song, Jimmy Webb, in connection with a place, which I think is actually called Rosecrans Avenue, uh, on the way to San Diego. I think it's in Compton, but... Um, If you went to Rosecrans Avenue today, it would bear little resemblance to even the one that Jimmy Webb knew, but it's still Rosecrans Avenue. But it's about what happened there that absolutely makes this song one of the greatest, greatest lyrical uh, songs of, uh, of the era. And I leave it with you with the idea that what happened is the vital thing, but the name simply is a tag for that which is eternal about uh, human Love and sin. Love you. I passed a lot of exit signs in my time while driving down this long freeway to San Diego and Point South. But there was a time last summer when I came down from Manhattan, though I knew I shouldn't. Was just too hard. I made my move at Rosecrans Boulevard. Rosecrans Boulevard. 